Left. Right. Yo, so it's getting pretty serious out there in the Ukraine and uh, some pretty crazy stuff going on with Russia. So in this episode, we revisit uh, talks about what's happening over there, fill you in on a little bit of what's happening around the world and our perspective on that. So uh, let me know what you think, if you agree with us, if we're missing anything, and uh, see you on the other end. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. <laughs> Cheers. 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 That means we are live. Welcome to Sip Talk, episode 171. My name is Justin DiGiulio out of my basement in New Jersey, joined by James, the Bosnator Boswell out of Charleston, South Carolina. James is a philosopher, a professional bartender, a professional referee, and most exciting of all, an accountant. James, welcome. I heard you crack a beer. What are you drinking? I am having the last of the... What is it called? Dreamy Mixers Sour from a gonna, local brewery. Bringing a sour beer out of a local Charlestown brewery. Fermentary. Very nice. Charlestown is local. You're not Charleston. That it used to be called Charlestown. So they're like they're backing it up a little bit to be even more authentic. Yeah, because the, um, there's there's a state park called Charlestown Landing. And this is where the Mayflower landed, second Mayflower? Yes. 1996 version, yeah. I heard about, I read about that. Yeah, it was a uh, Time newspaper, uh, weekly. So, yeah, look, they were wearing different style hats. That's, it doesn't get as much press. I think they were baseball caps, actually. But they were backwards, you know, to throw off the Indians. I think you're thinking, that, that was, no, that's a different one. That was a landing in Myrtle Beach. Ah, the Myrtle Beach landing. All right, so look, we gotta, we got to get on topic. I, uh, I, you know, we missed Tuesday, so I want to apologize to the people that messaged me on Tuesday saying, hey, where are you? Uh, I was out earlier this week, and I want to throw a little disclaimer out and directing this at you, James, and anybody else who's listening to us. I was out uh, this Tuesday because late Saturday night, early Sunday morning, one of my very good friends I grew up with, uh, his house caught on fire and basically burnt all the way through and, uh, you know, I don't want to go into too specific details, but I, I will share that this was a, a brownstone-style Victorian-era home. Uh, my friend lived basically on three floors in almost like a mansion-like setting with uh, just exquisite decoration, decor, furniture. And this place catching on fire um, basically ruined everything. The, uh, the fire was insane, out of control. And uh, on top of the fire, then comes the fire department. Well, on top of the fire, you get the smoke. And then you have ash that gets in the air. And then comes the fire department. They spray water. And uh, the amount of damage is inconceivable. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, the structure was still standing because it was a brick building. But I never would have imagined the amount of destruction uh, that can come from a fire. So... With that, uh, I will say to everyone that house fires are deadly. Um, 
they are traumatizing and and and, and terrifying. So <clears throat> the take home on this, and I, I've joked about this before. I think James on uh, previous episodes that I said, hey, yeah, my fire alarm went off in the kitchen or something. I knocked it off the the ceiling with a broom, and that was the end of that. Well, <clears throat> I got back in town yesterday uh, early evening, and I stopped at Home Depot, bought a bunch of fire detectors, and uh, what are those things called? Uh, uh, fire putter outers. Fire, fire extinguishers. I bought a bunch of those, <clears throat> put them in some closets throughout the house, and, and mounted maybe seven smoke detectors. Um, people, get some fucking smoke detectors, all right? Uh, my friend would have died from smoke inhalation if uh, if the smoke the fire detector smoke alarm didn't go off, and uh, he was on the top floor when the fire uh, started on the second floor, so there was no exiting for him. He had to go out a, out a window, and that's terrifying. So you know you want to catch once a, st- a fire starts spreading, you're not putting it out, not without the help of a fire department and an insane amount of water. So so be careful. Put some fire alarms in, smoke detectors in, uh, get some fire extinguishers just to have. Obviously, they're not going to do you too, too much good if you don't catch the fire. But uh, it's scary stuff. And uh, I was out of town to help them out. I want to do a future episode. I'm hoping next week we can do an episode, uh, ways to prevent a fire, and then what to do if you do have a fire in your home. Because I did a lot of research on my way up there, and once I was up there, what steps you need to take. But when it comes to negotiating with insurance and filing claims and getting back into the property, working with the fire department, working with the police department, there's a lot of moving parts. So before we get into the Ukraine and Russia tonight, that's my disclaimer. Be safe, people. Don't be dumb. If you're dumb, you could end up dead. Uh, and your loved ones, and more importantly, your loved ones could end up dead. So. I'd like to say hi to Shah- Shahir Rabba tonight, and anybody else that's listening. Um, we got a lot to talk about. We got a lot. Um, obviously, what happened to to your friend? Who I'll I'll, I'll leave their their name out of it until you give the okay. Um, so but, I give you. Yeah. Right. So you get the approval. But um, I I grew up with him as well. I know how much he put into that house. I never had a chance to visit it, but I know like how how important it was to him, and. I think a lot of people's worst nightmare is a house fire because you just lose everything. Yeah, well, the thing is, a lot of, a lot of people say, well, you know, it's, <clears throat> it's important that you're alive and you can't worry about the things. But first thing I said to my friend was, look, everybody's going to tell you it's important that you're alive. Um, but at this point, you've already started taking that for granted. So, and, you know, people are going to tell you your things don't matter. Well, that's because your things don't matter to them. But I know they meant a lot to you. And right now, you can focus on one of two things. You can focus on everything that you lost, which is sizable and can command a lot of your attention span. Or you can focus on what you're going to do next and what life is going to look like moving forward. And uh, it's one or the other. Because if you try to focus on both of them, you're just going to default on what you know, and that's everything that you lost. So you've got to stay in control of where your mind is at, and you've got to focus on, on, on what's ahead. So it's, it's, uh, it's sad, and, uh, and it sucks. We'll talk more about it once I get the okay. And if I don't, don't get the okay, you know, we can talk more about just general fire prevention and then what to do after a fire. But today, like you said... Yeah, speaking of losing everything, well, in Ukraine... That, that gave me some context, and it actually made me not feel 
crazy distraught because, you know, we're, that was, it was a house fire. Now, I've missed a lot of the news because I haven't just been in a place where I could consume it. But a lot of people are losing more than just their house right now. Uh, you know, we're talking whole towns. So uh, I got some notes about what's going on uh, in the Ukraine and what's going on with Russia, what's happening with Putin, uh, what's happening with Zelensky. But, I, you know, I want you to uh, give me some direction here because you know uh, you know more than I do about what's going well, on. There's so many different angles to, to hit this story on. Um, and for those of you who aren't paying attention, and, and like Ukraine's been invaded by Russia, and Ukraine hasn't done anything. At every step of this process, they've said, we don't want to be invaded, we just don't want to be a part of Russia. And <laughs> and that wasn't good enough. And Well, no, if somebody's coming at you, and you're like, I don't want to fight with you. And they're like, yeah, but we still want to punch you in the face. <laughs> and so... You've got, you've got that aspect, but I, I've been following this really closely for the last week, and the the overwhelming takeaway that I have is is, is kind of like three main points. One is that Vladimir Zelensky is one of the best leaders I've ever seen. Uh, it's it's actually it's refreshing to watch him uh, talk and watch him on camera. Just in contrast, he's a young guy. I think he's like 41 or something like that. 44. Yeah, he's, he's, he's in his early 40s. A young guy, seems to have a lot of command. And he's also active. He's not hiding. He's not, he's not just commanding troops from behind the scene. He's, he's really, really an active guy. He's engaged. And he's putting himself, to a degree, in danger, which is, which is scary. I'm sure. I'm sure he has some reserves. He's not just throwing himself directly on the front lines. No, he. Uh, but he's out. in in Kiev, and he's he's actively working with his government and his military, and he hasn't fled. He had the he had an offer from Western governments to airlift him out of Ukraine for his own safety, and he says, "I need ammunition, not a ride." <laughs> Let me ask you a question, though. When did we go from Kiev to Kiev? Oh. I feel like at some point we went from Iran to Iran. We forgot about it. It just kind of happened. And now we're in Kiev, and somehow we've transcended Kiev. I don't know. It's easier to say. <laughs> it's one less syllable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, but with you, like, single-syllable words are probably best. So, 100%. I like to just pound my, my caveman mallet and, uh, and utter single-syllable so, words. So takeaway one is that Vladimir Zelensky has has shown what leadership can look like, and I think pretty much anybody in politics needs to take notice, and anyone who's a voter needs to also notice and say, this is what is possible. Why can't our leaders be more like him? Well, so that's I, one. I, I can tell you why our leader can't be more like him, and and I think it's a it's a thirty five year difference difference in age. Well, yeah. But, um, but, also, guys, if you're watching live on uh, Instagram, live on TikTok, uh, anywhere else, uh, throw some comments out. Let us know what your thoughts are. Unfortunately, we won't see the TikTok ones, but everywhere else, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Twitch, Instagram, we'll, we'll see your comments. Uh, so sorry, James, interrupt. All right, so, so that's takeaway one. Takeaway two is the general... The general... Uh, character of the Ukrainian people has been revealed over the last week 
in both their their toughness and in willing to fight and refusal to back down, but also their the 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 degree of humanity that they've shown to each other and also to their enemy. When when Russian soldiers have surrendered, like there there's videos of like villagers offering them food and talking to them. They're not insulting them. They're saying, "What even happened here?" And the soldiers are, are like the Russian soldiers that have surrendered. Like we thought this was we were told that this was just a training exercise. We don't even know why we're here. So like the well, Ukrainians, well, even when the Russians surrender, the Ukrainians aren't waving it in their face and or, or shooting of, them or torturing them or anything else. That's a level of of empathy and compassion that the Kievian what what is it the Kiev Ukrainians. Sorry, um, maybe it's a wine that the Ukrainians have that that I am very surprised by. I saw some of those videos today when I was trying to catch up and, and find out what's going on, and I think that's that's very impressive. And I wouldn't be surprised that any soldier wouldn't truly know what they're doing. Soldiers are taught to follow direction and not question authority. There's, so, there's a difference. There's a difference between following orders versus not knowing it, not even knowing why you were there. Like for example. Our last two wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, if a, an American soldier was captured and was being asked why you're there, they would have been able to give you an answer and talk about, in Afghanistan, the 9-11 attacks and hunting out terror, and in Iraq, even though it was false pretenses, the weapons of mass destruction, um, they would have been able to say, we're here to get rid of Saddam and deal with weapons of mass destruction. There would have been some reason the soldiers knew the general purpose of their mission, beyond what the exact mission was. Um, Shahir Abba asks, why aren't we helping them? And I want to get to that because that's that's another point that I have. I said there's three points. I'm already at like, I'm already going, to, in my head I'm at like five or six now. We've gotten yeah. to two of them. You're still on, you're still on one. You're still on I'm two. still on two. One is like the leadership of Vladimir Zelensky has just been beyond impressive. Two is... The character of the Russian, of the, not the Russian, the character of the Ukrainian people, and and also, how, if, if you tell me there's a war happening in the United States, I'm going to tell you right off the bat. One, I'm happy that I don't live in Manhattan anymore, and I don't live in a super coastal town or city. And then two, I'm thinking, how quickly can I get to Canada? So yeah, well, the so there's a lot of there's a lot of Ukrainians that have fled, and there's a, there's a major refugee crisis right now in Poland and Germany. And right before um, we started rolling for this, I saw a video in Berlin of at like the main train station in Berlin, thousands of Germans with signs saying like how much room they had available for the Ukrainian refugees arriving. Look, but also I heard that Russia was spreading fake news on social media. For people to retreat and leave their towns and exit, have you heard about this? No, but I don't doubt it. Yeah, um, and if you're not, if if you live in Ukraine and you are not going, you aren't able to fight for your country, and you you can leave, then I think it makes complete sense to do so. Well, yeah. If you, I mean, if you're a woman or a child or an elderly person. It would not make sense to be there. It just means more attention needs to be spent. Yeah, although a lot of women have been stepping up and fighting for Ukraine as well. So let's not diminish their contributions. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm not but, saying you were. I'm just saying that like that, that women are fighting alongside men for Ukraine. And I, I think... So that's, that's my second takeaway is the 
just the quality of Ukrainians people has been shown. Three is kind of a mixed bag of I'm, su I'm both surprised at how well the world has united behind this cause and also disappointed that we aren't doing more. And I say that with a caveat of there's a risk that by doing too much more, it could start a nuclear World War III. Well, we talked about that uh, last week. And there's not much that we can do offensively because we know where Putin stands on that. And he made it pretty clear that, that he, I mean, a very, very basically clear threat without using the word nuclear the threat was of things you've never been able to conceive or never experienced in your life. Yeah. So, the, and I think that the West, that certain aspects of the West have um, stood up, and I'd say one of the surprises for me is um, Turkey. So their leader, Erdogan, has for the last 10 years or so been kind of a dictator himself and has done a lot of undemocratic things and a lot of author authoritarian things. But credit where credit's due, Turkey has provided a ton of drones and, and, um, and, and other weapons support to Ukraine that have been really effective. So, I, I, like, Erdogan still has his problems, but in this particular case, he's making the right, he's doing the right thing and providing some really needed support to Ukraine. Have we have we talked about how antiquated the the this invasion has been? That they're rolling in with tanks, they're armed soldiers. We talked about what future war would look like in the past, and and now it is the future. So this war, the fact that we have we have diesel tanks running out of fuel. And we have soldiers. Well, so that's crap. not that's more a supply chain and logistics issue. And there's also reports that a lot of the Russian soldiers are sabotaging their own equipment because they don't want to be there. Um, I want to just read. So Shahir Abbas says America and Europe are not doing enough. Well, and, and I agree. You, but what did you just say about if we engage too much, there's a very high chance of retaliation in the nuclear sense? And so that's that's where I'm kind of stuck. Um, so last week, almost a week ago, was w yeah um, was when the war actually started. And um, like in one of his first speeches on the matter, Biden a, uh, announced a whole bunch of sanctions on Russia. And one of the questions was asked was why aren't you disconnecting Russia from the SWIFT banking system, which is a international system to allow like inter like international banking transfers and virtually every country is a part of it and so biden kind of dodged the question which i thought was pretty weak but like russia has been cut off in in terms of sanctions russia has been cut off from almost the entire world with the exception of their relationship with like china and maybe india and well and then like north korea and some other like tiny countries but the vast majority of the world has been cut off from them, and the sanctions are probably the most severe that we've ever seen. And they rank, and there are some sanctions out there that are also a little bit absurd. Like there's a cat beauty contest federation that said like they weren't allowing Russian cats to enter. What's happening? What's happening with the so current that's a little Winter absurd. Olympics? 
What? What's um, so China I, allowing them to play, right? No, no, no. Paralympics, Russian and Belarusian a- athletes have been banned. Russia's been banned from the World Cup. The International Hockey Federation, um, like... <sighs> you know why the Olympics were invented, though? Uh, 2,000 years ago in Greece? But do you know that they were invented basically so companies, companies, so countries could compete, uh, you know, at, at at this sporting event, and it would, it would, it would be basically, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, uh, something to suffice for them for for war. Like, they'd be able to. Yeah. Compete and well, it's it's supposed to be a celebration of of peaceful competition, and well, when peace doesn't exist, then we don't get to. Then we shouldn't reward countries with being able to compete. So. Like there's been a lot of a lot of good that's been done in terms of responding to Russia, um, and the problem is you're left feeling like we could be doing more, but we're also leaving ourselves with our hands tied because we don't want to start a nuclear war, and the the problem is. We don't know how crazy Putin is. For the last two years, he's isolated himself because of COVID and everything else. So he is unpredictable. And you, uh, he, have... he, if, he's, if he's getting close to dying, he's not going to care about the condition that he leaves so, the world in. So, look, on, on that, though, uh, have you heard about uh, Putin being treated for cancer over, over the last mm, No. So I did a little dive. Somebody mentioned it in my office today. I did a little dive, and it appears that he he's been being treated for cancer over the last two years, basically throughout coronavirus. And I, uh, you know, I read some articles from people, not from people, but where people were quoted who had met with him, including uh, I think it was Macron who had to sit at a table uh, with in incredible incredibly uncomfortable distance from yeah. him. Uh, basically because he's afraid of contamination through coronavirus or potentially anything else and if he's on key well, this that or the next the the isolation so macron after that meeting because macron met with him in 2019 and after his most recent meeting he says i don't recognize the person that i just met with he's a very different person than who i met with in 2019 so the question of would Putin decide to set like to launch nuclear missiles? Maybe, and that. Well, I don't know. Look, if he's if he's getting old and he might have cancer, and he's looking, he's maybe for the first time in his life as a reasonably fit dude for the majority of his life, reasonably successful dude. He's actually like I told you the other day, like I used to push my body and push myself to the extremes because I, I thought whatever hurt me would ultimately make me stronger. Now my body's transitioning as I basically approach 40. My body's transitioning where when I hurt myself, I end up just getting hurt more, right? So this guy in his late 60s, I think he's like 69 or 70. Do you know his exact age? 74 maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I, I thought he was late 60s, maybe, maybe 70. But when you get to a certain point in your life, you're not worried about like running too hard or drinking too hard. You're worried because you're going to hurt yourself. You're actually looking at like the potential of death. How He's 69. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, but you're looking at like you're, you're coming to terms with the fact that you're going to die, and it could be 
in the next two years. It could be in the next two decades, but statistics show that you're very likely to die over the next two decades. Yeah. Shahir Abbas says, we would have to do something if it was a NATO country, and she's right, and that's also, like, a while back, Ukraine wanted to become part of NATO, and NATO didn't let them in because they were afraid that it was going to provoke Russia. So that that decision turns out to have been pretty poor because like we didn't need like Russia didn't need to be provoked at all to do this attack. So we should have just let Ukraine come in to NATO because it's clear that they needed it. You know, it's it's very clear now in retrospect. It was clear uh, then but, too. But even then, we were kind of pushing footy pussyfooting around Putin's emotions and, and what he might do. Right. But look, so hear me out. I'm somebody that's potentially, for the first time in his life, squarely looking death in the face. Now you put this guy who's invading Ukraine. Let me ask you this. What's his exit strategy? He doesn't have one. Exactly. Because, problem, because he, he, he's, he's put himself in such a position that if he leaves Ukraine, he appears weak, and that's the only thing he has left in terms of ruling Russia is the perception of strength. So if he, he leaves Ukraine in defeat, then his legitimacy as a ruler is gone. I mean, there, but there's no way for him to back down and still save face. That's where the negotiators have to come in. Like, that's you, you need someone that is smarter than me to find some kind of angle to allow Russia to save face and get out and and then you you figure out whatever the next step is but the first thing you need is to get bombs to stop dropping well or nuclear uh, bombs to not be one thing I would hope for is let's just imagine that that Putin is it that Putin orders a nuclear strike is that the military officers disregard it. It's happened in the past. From Russia? Yes. There's a story I believe in the late sixties where a Russian nuclear sub commander received an order to to um, fire a nuclear missile and he disregarded it. Um, and it turns out that like something with the way that the sun reflected off of the atmosphere caused a Russian satellite to believe that a nuclear bomb had gone off, and that triggered an order to to retaliate. Yeah. And so the officer in charge with actually like arming and firing the missile saw the order, and it, in his words, were like, "There's a 50-50 chance that this order that I'm getting is legitimate," and so. By pressing the button, I know exactly what's going to happen, which is possibly the destruction of the entire world. So I'm going to disregard this order on the chance that it's wrong. And that single decision probably saved the world. And look, I, I would hope that because Putin doesn't have the power to be able to just go to a terminal and launch a missile. He gives the order and other people do it. So you would have to hope that the people who actually press the buttons would say no. Well, look, you know, uh, you know, at this point, the people that Russia had that Russia that Putin has on his side isn't the general populace of Russia. No, 
And it sounds also like it's not the oligarchs and the super rich and the they're, Russian. They're they're he's losing support. Well, through the pretty sanctions, much through the sanctions, he's losing support of pretty much all of the ultra rich, mm -hmm. which own property outside of Russia. You're, yeah, you're, and and some countries are starting to seize their property. Yeah, your yacht, your yacht faring uh, population, and your your mansion. Yeah, Germany seized a yacht just today or yesterday, and it's more that's going to happen. And the reason why the oligarchs our oligarchs supported Putin was because they were getting rich off of him. That's yeah, no longer now, the case. So the question Putin. is, how long can Putin's support last? When it is no longer to people's benefit to to support him. The only people, uh, these are some reports from intelligence agencies are indicating that basically the only people left in Putin's inner circle are just psychophants and yes men. So that's that's going to have to erode at some point. Well, it's it's my understanding that, uh, and I listened to it. I actually listened to one of the maybe dozen or so interviews I listened to. Uh, was an interview with Fiona Hill. You know who that is? Yeah. Uh, apparently, she uh, she works for the Bookings Institute, which is an American research institute, and she's advised the last three presidents on Russia and European policy. So she's very familiar with Putin and American Russian policy. So, but but she was saying that the people that are closest to him, that are supporting him, are. They're basically like head of intelligence, head of security, head of defense in Russia. And that those people are going to continue to support him as long as it looks like they're winning. But once it starts to look like they're losing, which is kind of where, you know, they're slowing down quite a bit. They slowed down over the last week. Once it starts to look like things are going against them, those people may not continue to support what he's doing. And, and, and then the question is, how does he exit? How does he change course? How does he, or if not, if he's not doing well, how does he then up the ante? How does he double down and, and, and play the next hand and, and play it harder than the hand he's currently playing? I'm not the first one to suggest it, far from it. But I think that this ends, the way this ends for Putin is I think someone kills him. I think somebody inside the Russian government says, I've had enough. And, and, and I, I think that there's a strong possibility that he gets the dictator being dragged through the streets treatment. Um, it's not there yet, but I see that as a very real possibility. Um, I know that there's one Russian businessman that's offered a million dollar bounty for it. And when I was seeing the, uh, the, the comments uh, on the news article, most of the comments were, if there was a GoFundMe, I'd contribute. <laughs> Um, I actually think that would be a pretty cool GoFundMe. Um, I would, I, I'd put money in. I don't think GoFundMe would. Uh, no, no, would no. Of course that. they wouldn't. But if if such a thing were to exist, how much would you put in? I drop a hundo. Yeah, I think I. You know, I usually throw fifty or hundred bucks when I when I it's a friend of mine or something, and I kind of support the cause. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm down with that. The, there's but, another. There's a meme. On, that's what, is it about the assassination of him? No, no, no. There's a meme that's come out of Ukraine that I've, I've I found I really heartening. Cool, but I don't want to pivot on the assassination of him because that is kind of your everything you watch about Hitler now in the you know in the last decade or so is are basically assassination attempts or inglorious bastard type movies where we're talking about things that we did and attempts to 
take out the team around Hitler and ultimately take out Hitler. Now, I imagine there's probably some of these things happening right now that we're not going to hear about. I mean, given time moves faster now than it did 75 years ago, but uh, we probably may not find out about them for another 15 or 20 years. And all this stuff was happening in the 1940s. We didn't find out about it until the last decade and a half. Yeah, right? stuff gets declassified much way much after the fact. Quick, but also much more quickly now than it has over, over the last century. So I'm sure there's efforts happening. Now, this Fiona Hill interview, she mentioned that she actually went to a dinner and sat beside him for that dinner. And uh, he didn't eat or drink the entire dinner. And obviously, you know, that's out of fear that something was poisoned or, you know, something along those lines. So I and I can't even imagine sitting at a dinner with like a bunch of diplomats or, you know, whoever, you know, a, a bunch of other uh, presidents or premiers or whatever and not taking a bite out of my food. I think that would be a very uncomfortable, uncomfortable situation. So, uh, you know, I, I think the, and I think, and that was years ago. So the fact that he wasn't eating or drinking anything in front of him years ago, mean, and, and also that well, he's been, you know what he was before he was, what he was in the eighties, right? Yeah. Well, but look, but, but given he's isolated himself over the last two years. But yeah, he was a former spy. He was an intelligence officer. So he knows all the tricks in the book. Exactly. Well, he knows all the, the former tricks in the book, which... He, he probably knows the current tricks in the book, too, because you, you're telling me that he isn't getting... He isn't having his his spy agencies give him the latest and greatest? Yeah, well, but also, they are... They have hacked fucking everybody. So anything that pretty much anybody would be up to to go out and get him, he might already be aware of. And you, I, I, I mean, they've hacked electrical, you know, utilities. They've hacked so much shit. I wouldn't be surprised if they've, if, if they're into like already Facebook and you know, everything that's going on. And given that's grandiose and a bit, you know, uh, tinfoil hat. But, I, you know, you can't put things past people. No, but again, I don't know where this gets us. Um, I, I want to move on because, I, like. There's well, tell me like, about the meme. Tell me about the meme. So the, it, it started um, a week ago, like on the first day of the invasion. The, uh, a video came out. I don't know if you've seen it. There's a small island that was being defended by 13 Ukrainian soldiers. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, the Russian, the the Russian Navy ship says, "This is the Russian uh, Navy. Like surrender now, or we open fire." And then. It switches to the uh, Ukrainian radio, and, and you hear the guy say, oh, this is it. Guys, should I tell them to go fuck themselves? And they, they, yeah, yeah. You're like, all right, Russian warship, go fuck yourself. And, and Ukraine has just kind of taken that and ran with it. Um, there, it there was an interview with a foreign policy or a, like a, a foreign services minister on the streets of Ukraine, and they, he says, uh, Lavrov, Sergei Lavrov, the Russian foreign minister, wants to open negotiations. What do you have to say to that? He says, Russia, go fuck yourselves. And 
Ukraine has been taking down road signs so that Russians have a harder time navigating their country. And the foreign, uh, the like, Department of Roads or whatever put up a sign that is in all that that's it's a, like the, with arrows, and one of them is "Go fuck yourself." The other is "Go fuck yourself again," and then the last one is "Go fuck yourself back to Russia." <laughs> and, and I'm currently working on. I, I sent that image to a company that makes custom signs, and I'm waiting for them for, to send me a proof back because I'm ordering them. What are you going to distribute them to Ukraine? No, Ukraine doesn't need road signs. They need other things. And I, I'll, I'll probably be donating to a Ukrainian charity of some sort. I just need to find the one that I think is the best. So let me ask you this. On donating and on money, when it comes to money, uh, they're saying that Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies could be the savior for Russia, could be the savior for Russian oligarchs. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because these guys would potentially be able to transact off of the grid because we know that 80% of the Russian uh, finance is done in U.S. dollars. And since they're no longer capable of using U.S. dollars, what are your thoughts on how cryptocurrency is going to work with that? Well... It furthers my point that cryptocurrency has very few legitimate uses, and like the uses that it does have are nefarious in nature. Well, yeah, but that's how things get started. So I actually think now might be a good time to invest in cryptocurrency because now we get a we get a glimpse at how it can be used not as an investment, a highly volatile investment vehicle, but how it can be used as an actual currency and it's not being used as an actual actual currency it's just being used as a throughput for it's it's being used for money laundering not for money currency let me me tell you something as a businessman um who operates a pretty much up and up business you know as a teenager the majority of my business dealings were pretty nefarious (laughs) and uh and and under the table so you know, but that's where I got my my business uh, ins and outs, and, and and learned about how how to do business. So as an adult and somebody who's got things to lose, I, I keep it on the up and up. But I mean, I've never done anything terrible. But uh, but you know, point is, is that when you in the be- the beginning stages of things, you know, what's happening now, given it's so that super rich people in Russia can do business and. Russia can get by, and everybody hates on Russia right now. But if we see a good example of it being used as a currency for the first time on a wide scale, but it's not being used as a currency. People well, no, aren't buying and selling things directly with cryptocurrency. But what, what they're I'm using it for is they're taking currency, buying Bitcoin or whatever, and then trading that crypto for a different currency. No, they're just exactly. using it as a throughput of whatever money they have to get different currency. Yes, that's not, now, that's not now backwards the last ten, eight, eight, ten years. But what I'm saying is now moving forward is that Russia may actually be transacting it. But the thing, nobody's accepting payments in Bitcoin. Well, that's, but I, I think we see that number going up because nobody is accepting payments in U.S. dollar anymore in, in, in Russia. And the ruble is worth next to nothing. Right. So the, the fact that you can use cryptocurrency as a way to sidestep legitimate and well, well-intentioned well sanctioned, like, how is this a positive? Well, it's a positive if you're a Russian oligarch who wants to go buy... A is that the side you want to be on? 
I, I'm making the argument from the from the perspective of the Russian oligarch. My my side is clearly somebody who doesn't want nuclear war and doesn't want to support Russia. But what I'm saying is that I'm playing out the argument in looking at how cryptocurrency may may rise up because we get to see a display of it being used as an actual currency versus being such a shitty volatile investment vehicle that it's been for the last eight or ten years under the guise of currency so if now you can't transact but now you have cryptocurrency you're going to start using cryptocurrency you're going to start trading in bitcoin you're going to start buying and spending in bitcoin you're going to start accepting bitcoin because nobody's giving you dollars or rubles and the rubles are giving you are worth nothing so what i'm saying is that the last eight or ten years yeah cryptocurrency has been shitty it's been dangerous. A lot of people have lost their money and nobody's used it as a currency. But Russia may be a good uh, case study in what cryptocurrency can do. We'll see. You know, and, and I'm not picking sides. I'm just saying it's, it's a very high probability that these guys will actually use it as a currency. Yeah. One other thing that we talked about um, today on the texts was... Um, lost the thread crap um the text thread no 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 yeah no no i, I figured it out um yeah no 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 I, I figured out where i wanted to go with this which is i'm seeing some really strong parallels between what russia is doing right now and germany in 1939 with with hitler marching into the sudetenland of i know the, nothing about the sudetenland so you have to have to fill me in here well, it was a it was a area between France and Germany. Uh, I'm pretty sure France and Germany. I should really check my facts on this one. Um, but it was kind of a contested area, and it's between. Oh, okay. Uh, Sudetenland is um, near Czechoslovakia. It's between Germany and Czechoslovakia, okay. and so. It was something that like Germany laid claim to, but Czechoslovakia had it. So Hitler just marched in there and says, we're taking this now. And there was relatively little resistance to it um, because people were afraid of what, what like if they fought against this, they were afraid that it was going to provoke a world war. And so they, this is where appeasement started. And... Then it wasn't just the Sudetenland. Then it was Czechoslovakia. Then it was Poland. And at some point, everything got tied up into a world war anyways. And it was just made so much worse because pro like, by, by allowing Hitler to march into the Sudetenland and take it, it just gave them that much more time to get organized. And if it, it could have been stopped earlier. And maybe the result would have been the same. I don't know. But, well, but I, I look at... Like, if we don't take a stand with Ukraine, there, there's been intelligence reports that, that Russia's not going to stop with Ukraine, that they might want Moldova or Estonia or Lithuania. We, talk, we talked uh, last week, the last episode, that we had, I mean, I, at least for me, I believe that uh, Putin wants to see the old USSR. He wants to see, uh, he wants to see Russia as it was prior to the separation of the Soviet states. I agree. And so and, he's and, starting with Ukraine. He's seeing exactly. what he can get away the with. Issue is, the issue is, is it our fight to fight? And is our, does our perspective hold any water? So when the U.S. invaded Iraq under the false pretense 
that they had um, weapons of mass destruction, who fought back against the United States? Not many people. So, and yet yeah, we and it was wrong at the time. And it was wrong at the time. So now Russia is invading somebody. We all see it as wrong, but it's not our fight to fight, except we're foreseeing where it may go. And it's just, you know, it's a, it's a, imagine if the rest of the world pushed back in the United States during the Iraq times. There were considerable protests, but we were able to, I would say, mislead some of our key allies into going along with it. And that's the difference is I'm not defending the Iraq war. I was against it at the time and I've always, and I've been against it every step of the way since, since 2003. But the difference between the Iraq war and what's going on in Ukraine right now is that we at least tried to get people on board with us and we got some major countries with us, um, namely England. Well, Um, that's the difference though, is that right now, Russia has been dishonest with what they're doing every step of the way. And they don't have anybody behind them. The only and ally that they have in this is, is Belarus, and that's because Belarus's president is Putin Jr. And, yeah, that's it. No, well, I wonder if this was the whole setup with the meddling in the U.S. elections, that they thought that they would have Trump here, and they also thought that they would have Trump reelected. And that Trump may not have taken the stance that he now says he would have against Russia taking over. Trump may have helped put a good spin on Russia taking over. He's already said what he thought Putin was doing was genius, right? He said, right. Oh, brilliant, great timing, good for, good for yeah, Putin. Yeah, yeah, that's because Trump has a, a, like a crush on Putin for some reason. He's got a weird, he's got a weird fascination with Russia. His wife is from where? Is she from the Ukraine or she's from... She's Latvia, Latvia. Okay, I didn't. I, didn't, I knew it was always. Or maybe Ukraine. It's, it's an Eastern Europe, European country that is not Russia. Rosh, can you look that up for us and, and let us know where uh, Melania? But, comes? but also Melania hates Trump. Well, no, <laughs> sure, but but you know, just. Uh, but uh, the, my whole point is that I'm not defending the Iraq War. I hated it, um, but we at least got some legitimate countries to go along with us whether that was because we lied about the intelligence uh, i will leave for others to decide but we made an effort for coalition building this is a case where russia has been able to get one country with them and that's the and that's a country that they effectively control um even china who you can pretty much guarantee to be on the wrong side of things has at least stayed out of it. Now well, that doesn't mean like nothing, which I think is is. A, I'm worried about what's going on with China. So China's China. I think China's position is that they stay out of this, so that way one, this draws, this is sucking attention away from all the crappy things that China does, and two, with a weaker Russia, which is what this is inevitably going to end with. Because Russia's not going to win this. The West is not going to allow it. Like, the suffering of the Ukrainian people is going to be the price, and that's a really terrible price to pay. But 
Russia's never going to be able to topple the democratically elected um, government of, of Ukraine. Even if they install their own government, no Western government will recognize it. So Russia's investing a tremendous well, well, amount on. of money. Well, let, me, let me just finish this out. They're investing a tremendous amount of money and lives and sacrificing standing in the international world and suffering through all these economic sanctions, becoming a pariah state on the level of North Korea. And their economy is predicted to shrink 35%. Their population is shrinking. And China is sitting back and saying, we, you just weakened yourself, and now we can take you over. I wouldn't be surprised if China gets aggressive with Russia very soon after this. Interesting. Not I, necessarily installing a new, new government and like militarily conquering Russia, no, but, but just using just using Russia and having but renegotiating economic agreements between the two. Like China is going to be able to call all the shots, and I wouldn't be surprised if China starts buying up all Russian industry. And now China has now China can buy up Gazprom and Ukrataia or whatever it is, and now all those Russian oil fields are Chinese. Yeah, I uh, I had that had never entered my mind the Chinese long game. I actually thought that they were impressed with Russia becoming a uh, basically stronger world power and asserting themselves that they would see that as something that they could do moving forward. No, nope. but if Russia fails, what China may do, and if Russia fails, they are going to be in a really bad place. China, China may be evil, but they're not stupid. No, I, I, you know, I don't even think of China as that evil. I just think of, I, I don't think of the Chinese people as evil. I think of no. the Chinese government as evil. Well, that's because of what they do to their own citizens. But I, I you know, you just you, the thing is, you take an evil character in any book or movie, and in their mind, they have a noble cause. Right? True. So when when you say China's evil, I'm like, yeah. I mean, you zoom out, like from the perspective of the rest of the world, they're evil. I don't think they're trying to be evil. I just think they're trying to level up at any cost. And if the, if if at any cost, Russia is a pretty cheap investment. Uh, I see them going full force there. But you know, it's it's difficult to think like what happens when and if Russia is not successful in this endeavor. And it's really difficult to wrap your head around what the next week or two may entail with the Ukrainian Russian. No, well, it's going to continue. It's it's going to continue to stagnate, and people are going to continue to suffer. And Russia is probably not going to move because, again, they've painted themselves into this corner where they don't really have an out, and that's problematic because it makes it really difficult to negotiate. Um, and you're going to have. Uh, we can hope for the best, but what we need to do right now is both as an, as individuals. And as Western governments, we need to be doing everything we can to send support to Ukraine in the form of humanitarian aid, medical supplies, food, and, and, and just direct economic aid, and also send the best weapons that the West can make. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is, is about supporting them in ways that are not super offensive, right? Like so humanitarian routes... Uh, uh, food and, and you know weapons is. A You're not going to stop tanks with gauze, though. You, no, you, you, sure, you got to have some javelin missiles in there too. But, but weapons coming directly from the United States is almost borderline off 
fans. No, no, no. We've been doing that already. That's uh, already happened. I had I had not heard that we're sending them weapons at all. No, that's one hundred percent already happened, and that's not us declaring war. That's not even like we are giving them weapons. That's fine. That's I mean, in my mind, that's war. It, like, but uh, it's not our soldiers, and it's not our ships out there. Mm, ships versus missiles sound pretty similar to me. It's hardware. Right, uh, but, but we're not the ones firing it. We're not the ones. We it's not our soldiers pulling the trigger. Um, so look, so uh, question for you: What do you think that sanctions have done when it comes to holding Russia back? When it when it is translated through troops on the ground? Well, for one, because I don't think that sanctions have done anything in that respect. But well, I the sanctions think- aren't aren't designed to hinder the the military effort directly they can't no but but, but hold up but i uh, i think that we are actually we had overestimated their military capabilities if what we're doing sanctions wise have had this little effect mm. on you're, you're missing the point of what the sanctions are, are meant to do the sanctions are meant to get the russian people and the russian government outside of Putin's inner circle to see how bad things are and give them an imp- give them incentive to change. So when Russian people can't get paid because none of their banks work, when Russian companies can't buy goods or ship goods outside of Russia and they also can't transact with it with any foreign bank, when Russian oligarchs have their yachts seized and their bank accounts frozen, and then you can get enough of a civil uprising to oust Putin as dictator, and then whoever comes in next, whatever whoever fills that power vacuum, probably the first thing that they're going to do is pull all the troops out of Ukraine because that will help get, get them out of the sanctions. The Russian stock market hasn't been open for a week. Yeah, I heard that. Yeah. Uh, but and, what, and the but same my, thing with like banning oh, their my, sports teams and their athletes from all these competitions. It's yeah, but, get the my, Russian people to revolt against what the Russian government is doing because this my, is not the Russian people's fault. And yeah, and again, like I said earlier, the the Russian populace isn't behind this. They don't want this. They're uninterested in a war against Ukraine. Um, and and as are most of the oligarchs, they don't give a shit. And now they're, as you just said, completely uninterested in it and don't want it. Uh, but my thinking is, how is the rest of the world, the U.S. included, affecting what's happening on the ground? Sending because weapons and sending humanitarian aid. And and who's and that's because I've missed the, basically the last five days worth of news. Also, who's doing also, what? I, I can't believe I missed this, and this is critical. Sharing intelligence. Sharing satellites and intercepted communications and all that other stuff, like if if we can relay to Ukraine, here's where such and such a position is, then like all of that stuff has value. So it, it, it's my understanding that we don't have really much control over the airspace over Ukraine, as that's a bit too offensive. No, we can't uh, have our if we have our planes up in there. That's that's a problem. But when it comes to satellites, how does that work? Because that's when you're talking about intelligence. I'm almost thinking that's satellite. Yeah, I don't know. So I don't know. So there's all sorts of intelligence. There's going to be there's on the ground intelligence in terms of having our spies operating out there. There's satellite intelligence. 
But hang on, hear, hear me out here. I don't understand how satellites work. Satellite goes around the Earth, and it takes pictures, takes takes video, near real time. It's very fast. But does it cut off at certain points over countries no. that don't? Well, want it depends. To it depends on what kind of orbit you have. But if you have a geostationary orbit, then you can just have a satellite parked over a certain part of the Earth and just monitor it 100% of the time. And space that like countries don't own space above where they are like you airspace extends up to whatever the the highest altitude that a plane can fly um so yeah like satellites that happen to be over ukraine right now all the stuff that they're gathering that's fair game to to, to forward on to the the people in ukraine um Rosh wants us to wrap up with this, and I can really briefly touch on it. But there's been a lot of discussion about our response to Ukraine, which compared to when other countries have invaded other countries, such as Saudi Arabia and Yemen, or Israel and Palestine, or name a country in Africa and name another country next door in Africa. Um, and how we haven't really responded in the same way, where we haven't done sanctions, and we haven't sent the aid, we haven't sent yeah. the weapons, we haven't supported those countries. So and they were pointing out the double standard that exists there of okay. why are we giving Ukraine all of this treatment when we haven't done it for other countries in the past? And I think that's a valid argument to make, but I also think that it's a little bit self-destructive right now because saying we, ha we didn't do the right thing in the past doesn't give us the excuse to continue doing the right to continue doing the wrong thing today. But why is it so amped up right now? I get it, and you make it you make a great you know we, we we haven't done the right thing when it comes to protecting other countries in the past. But why are we so hell bent on securing the Ukraine and not letting Russia expand? Is it because we don't like Russia? Is it because we have something going on that the regular American citizen, me? I've got a couple. Let, let me give you the list. One is to counter Russia. Two is I, I. I think that because Ukrainian citizens look more like what we think Americans look like, Ukraine's white. Okay. So Yemen, Yemen is Middle Eastern. Africans are going to be black. And if you want to just talk about the history of this country, it's it's pretty consistent that we care more about white people than black people. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying it's what's happened. And so we have a chance as a country where we see a country full of white people being victimized. And for whatever reason, that's a lot easier to get people behind. And it's the whole Sudetenland appeasement issue where we see this as if we don't fight back now, there's going to be less and less to fight for in the future. So well, we I fight now. I, I, that's what I think now is we got to stop this because I don't see Putin stopping at ukraine no I see him go going on and on and on and taking over the former ussr and then maybe some on top of that because he wants to top because that's the guy that he is he wants more and more and more he wants to have a legacy he wants to have statues he wants to be a lenin without the mistakes he wants to be a stalin without the mistakes he wants to be this great leader and he wants to be known for this yeah. and that and a guy that's potentially facing death has nothing to lose. So Shahir Abba says Ukraine doesn't doesn't deserve this. They haven't done anything, and I couldn't agree more. Like, it, it, I, I follow this 
really closely because watching everything that the Ukrainians have done in the last week has just furthered my opinion that we need to be doing everything we can to fight on their side. And probably next episode, next Tuesday, I'll, I'll, I'll put a, a list up to get, um, for, for anyone who has the money to donate. I encourage you to do so. We'll come um, and I'll give you some note, though, to, to pick out. On that note, though, we are out of time. Thank you guys for joining. James Rush, uh, maybe I'll catch you guys on Zoom real quick just after this. Sure. Everybody, next time, thank you guys for joining us, and adios. Cheers. As far, thank you for joining us for the entire episode. If you have not already, please consider subscribing. Interacting with this podcast anyway helps, whether it's on YouTube or any audio podcast platform. Rating us, commenting, sharing, uh, it's, it's all good. We appreciate it. So uh, thank you again for making it this far. See you guys next time. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.